Lord, we thank you as we come to your scriptures, and we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord, and blow across our hearts and our minds. We submit them to you now, and we ask you, Lord, to speak through your scriptures and to speak through my words that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Last words matter. I've had the privilege of being with many people over the years who are in the final days, the final hours, even the final moments of their lives. And one thing that you realize when somebody is getting to the end of their time on this earth is that that's not the time for incidental words. That's not the time for throwaway ideas. In other words, nobody generally is talking about the weather in those last moments. Nobody cares anymore about who won the game or what the score was or even generally how much is in the bank. No, what you hear in those last moments are the things that are of eternal value. Things like, I love you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And perhaps even, I wish I had done things differently. Last words matter deeply. I remember spending some time with my father-in-law in the last days of his life. He was the only father figure in my life who didn't abandon me. And so he was a gift of God and such a godly influence in my wife's life and their family's life. And then as I married in, I can remember our last conversation like it was yesterday. I remember we were sitting on the green bench, swinging. There was a breeze blowing. We were in their backyard. The flowers were blooming. It was a beautiful day. We were under the carport. He was a man looking across the gulf into what was about to come. And he knew it. And so did I. And I, and I remember his words to me. He said, Chris, one thing is sure. Your life is going to go exactly as God intends it to go. It's just not going to look like it as you're on the way. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I can feel the breeze when I say the words. I can remember his closeness when he was there with me. Because those kind of last words matter. In our gospel lesson today in John chapter 17, John records for us Jesus' last words. By that I don't mean his final words. Those will come from the cross. As he says such things as, I thirst and today you'll be with me in paradise, and to tell us, die, it is finished. So it's not the final words, but it is the last words of the final discourse from the Last Supper, which takes up five chapters of John's 21-chapter gospel. And so these last words of Jesus, which we have in John 17, are incredibly important words they were important in the moment in which his disciples heard them. They are important now today. 
because they are those last words of this one who was looking across and was paving a way for us who would follow. These last words of the Last Supper. I'm deeply comforted as we hear Jesus' last words that they're actually prayer, that it's actually the intimate conversation that he was having with his father in anticipation of what was about to occur in those days ahead. It's been called the high priestly prayer because in it Jesus prays for himself and he prays for his disciples and he prays for those who will receive the message of the gospel, which means in turn that he is actually praying for you and for me those words coming all the way down through time and through history. Now, you as a congregation are transitioning today from a long study in the letter of Philippians into these next three weeks as we wind down the Lenten season and move towards Holy Week. You'll be in these words of Jesus, these last words From John chapter 17, these words that he spoke, which were words of prayer on behalf of himself and his followers and on behalf of you and me. And so I have the great joy of beginning this new series. My task today is to kick it off, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. Now, at the risk of oversimplifying some very deep theology which is contained within these words. I'm going, to, I'm going to focus on two things this morning primarily, and it's this, that Jesus prays that God would be seen, and Jesus prays that God would be known. That God would be seen through him, and that God would be known through him. And so if you're like me, you need something to hold on to, and simpler is better, you might think of this as Seen and known. Seen and known. In fact, why don't you say those words? Seen and known. Maybe it'll stick even after you leave here today. That God would be seen through Jesus and that God would be known through Jesus. Let's look at the text. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, The hour has come, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. And then in verse 4, an idea that corresponds to this verse 1. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. All through these words of Jesus, you hear the word glory, the word glorify, very important Bible words, not words that you hear in everyday life. These are not TikTok words, generally. Sometimes we do use the word glory, of course, in our culture. But generally, we use it in terms of, like, the glory days, the good old days, the days that we were at our height, at our best, at our highest point. But it's always past, back then, way back where, when we remember something that occurred in our lives, the glory days of when you played football, or when you had this position, or when you achieved some goal. We sometimes speak of the glory days in churches as well. Remember when God had that move among us? And we remember wistfully something from a bygone era? 
thinking, oh, he did it then. Could he do it again? The word glory literally means to be heavy or to be weighty. It has to do with fame. It has to do with reputation. It has to do with prestige and splendor. This, this is a big word in the scripture. It's related to the word magnify. And all we have to do is think about what a magnifying glass does. You look through the lens and it takes something and makes it bigger. It causes it to shine forth. It allows you to see something more clearly, more definitely. When Jesus says in verses 1 and 4 and even in verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before, with you before the world existed. He's saying, Father, I want you to be seen through me. I want you to be seen through what I do. I want the world to look at you through the lens of me. I want you to be magnified to the world. I want you to shine forth to the world, that the world might see that your reputation and your character and your goodness and your holiness and your majesty might become gloriously apparent to all who look to me. As Jesus moves into this plan of God, this plan, by the way, that they came up with before the world was founded, that he, the pre-existent Son, and God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit determined before any of us were ever created, before this world was created, from the glory that Jesus had with the Father in that place, as I walk out this plan in these next few days, Father, may your name be known, and may you be seen clearly, that I, the incarnate Son, would make you the invisible Father seen and known on the earth, that you would become visible. And what is this glory that Jesus wants us to see, that is to be displayed through him so that God can be on display? It is the glory of the cross. It is the glory of the heart of God fully magnified for everyone to see. And what is this God like? And what is this God's heart like? Well, this God is holy, holy, holy. He is mighty and glorious. This God is the one before whom angel armies fall in adoration at the magnificence of his splendor. He is the God who is pure, who exists in inapproachable light, before whom nothing dark can come. This is the God who is fully just in every way. And because of this God's justice and holiness, because this God would, would be a liar and would be less than God, if he did not enact his holiness, and if he did not walk out justice, this God displays his holiness and his justice in the cross. The Lord has said that every soul that sins shall die. 
On the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Every person who has ever lived, you and me, we have fallen short of this glory of God. Holiness, rightness, perfection, justice. And so his justice demands that the penalty for sin is enacted. It is carried out. It must be enacted or he is not just. He is not holy, holy, holy. And so we see in the cross the justice of God on display. But in that place we also see most clearly the love of God on display. For this one who would cease to be just were he not to bring penalty for the breaking of law, also in his compassion for the broken and the lost, for his beloved, for you and for me, bears the penalty for our sin upon the cross. He carries in his body on the tree the very thing that you and I deserve, a separation from God, the wrath of God, the sin of the world upon him, yours and mine, The love of God has never been more clearly displayed than in the body of Jesus, the very glory of the all-glorious God, full of grace, full of truth, full of holiness, and full of love. He offers himself. I'm reminded of the beautiful way that C.S. Lewis depicts this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as Aslan the Christ figure goes to his death on the stone table, for whom? For Edmund the betrayer, who has chosen to eat Turkish delight, the sweetness of this world, his own satisfaction, his own way. And yet, this one who dies for the betrayer. He dies for the betrayers for us who have chosen Turkish delight over the love of God, over the love of others, because we love ourselves. That God might be seen through Jesus. This is his prayer. But also that God might be known through Jesus. You must understand that There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. The Pharisees, they knew a lot about God. In fact, most of them would have at least the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. I said memorized. And those who were teachers, rabbis, would potentially have most of the Old Testament memorized. They knew a lot about God. They knew about God's word and God's ways and how God acted in the glory days of old. And yet, when God came in the flesh, in the person of his son, they only knew about God. They didn't actually know him when he showed up. There's a vast difference between knowing about God and knowing God personally. And so they missed him. Pastor Mike Iaconelli, in his book, Dangerous Wonder, 
recounts a story about a member of his church. We'll call her Mary. She was a recent widow. Her husband had died. He approached her in the coffee hour following church, and when they had a few moments alone to talk, he said to her, do do you miss your husband? How are you doing? How, How are you handling this? And she had a tear roll down her cheek, and she said, you know... I hate to say this, but I've, I've come to the realization that after 40 years of marriage, I never really knew him. Now think about that. Think about what a relationship is like. The years of dating, the years of courtship, the time of being married and the newlywed years, and then Perhaps those days in which they have children and the chaos of little kids and all night and diapers, followed by the chaos eventually of teenage years and all night long in a whole different kind of way. And then perhaps marrying those children off and releasing them into the world, perhaps grandchildren and the joy of seeing those who are yours in a different way. But at the end of it all, all she could say is, I never really knew him. Now, you know she had a lot of facts about that man. How many meals did they share in 40 years? How many nights did they share the same bed for 40 years? There's something even more tragic than that 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 is truly tragic. And it's this. There are plenty of people who spend a lot of years in the church, perhaps baptized as a baby, maybe even confirmed as a young person, sitting in the pews, listening to sermons, even singing some songs, maybe a Bible study here or there, giving some money in the plate, serving on a committee, maybe even being on the vestry. And yet, The tragedy is that there are too many people who know about God but do not know God. The only thing worse than that, I think, would be for God to not know them. There will be a day when we all stand before the Lord. And on that day, some will hear, away from me, I never knew you. And they'll complain and say, but Lord, we even did wonders in your name. To which his response will be, I did not know you. The good news is this. God wants you to know him. God has paid a violent and heavy price for you to know him, for you to be intimately acquainted in love and a depth of relationship that you know him in intimacy, in wholeness, in an ever-increasing kindness. Do you know him? Say, oh yeah, I go to church. No, 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 no. Do you know him? Yes, I was baptized. No, no, no. Do you know him? 
You can. How? Through his son, Jesus. But it takes turning away from yourself as the source of your own life. It takes a surrender, which frankly is sometimes easier for those whose lives fall apart than for those who are basically pretty good in their own minds. For you see, you have to lay down not only your sin, but your goodness and receive from him a new life. That's what change is with God. That's what repentance is. Turning away from yourself as the source of your life and turning to the one who offers forgiveness and new life and wholeness and hope and cleansing and love. As I said, last words matter. So let me wind into some last words. Do you know him? Have you seen Jesus? Have you gone to the cross? Have you laid down your own life as the source? And have you received from him new life? And I would say, for those of you who would say, yes, I did that a long time ago. Are you making him seen? You see, for those of us who yield and receive his life and come to Christ, our new role is to make him seen through our lives that others might know him in the same way we have known him too. Is your home a place where people are seeing Jesus and coming to know him. In your business, are people seeing Jesus through you? I don't mean are you being an uptight evangelical. <laughs> do, you, do you understand the difference? I'm all for evangelism. Don't hear the bishop doesn't like evangelism. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, what I'm saying, if you hear me, is incredibly evangelistic. Are people seeing Jesus through you? the fact that you're willing to forgive and you're willing to love and you're willing to reach out to the person who does not look like you, may not believe like you, and love them where they are. That they might see the Jesus you say you believe in and that they might know the Jesus who has died for them so that they can know him too. Here's my charge to our confirmands and to those of you who are reaffirming your faith those who are being received today, seek to know Jesus in his word, through the sacraments, as you pray, in community, as you worship. Seek to know him more and more, the power of his resurrection, the life of God for you. He is crazy in love with you. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to achieve to receive from him. You only have to be hungry. Because God always tells the person who cares. I finish with this. There's a story that's told about a young man who is, oh, somewhat flippant. But he noticed in this old preacher something different. And so he came to him one day and he said, he said Preacher, I want to know God. You seem to know him. I want to know God. And the preacher said, you really want to know God? And the young man said, yeah, I think so. 
So he said, come with me. And he took him down through the town and they got to the river. And the preacher walked right out into the water and he said to the young man, come out here. And he came out with him and the preacher looked at him and said, what is it you want? I want to know God. So the preacher grabbed him and put him down under the water. And he pulled him back up again. He said, what is it you want? The young man said, I want to know God. (laughs) To which the preacher put him down under the water again and held him under the water and pulled him up and said, what is it you want? I want to know God. And he put him down under the water and he held him. (laughs) And then he pulled him up and he said, what is it you want? I want air. When you want God like you want air, you will have him. Do you want him today? Do you want to be a people that the world around you goes, they know God, they want him, and I want what they have? He will give himself to you. But you got to care enough to want him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be glorified in Truro Church. Lord Jesus, be glorified in Fairfax as your people who see you and know you go out. And Lord Jesus, be glorified here today as you you call those home who have been far from you for a very long time. Lord Jesus, speak to the person today who's wondering if they should even be here. He says, yes, come home, my child. Father, be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.